people thought we had this massive PR thing behind us. I didn't even have a marketing plan. I definitely did not have money for PR. Welcome to The Founders. This is the podcast where we dig into the startup stories of some of the most exciting and innovative businesses by speaking to the founders themselves. I'm Alex. And I'm Joe. And in this episode, we're speaking to Ade Hassan, MBE. Ade is the founder of Nubian Skin, which creates skin tone hosiery and lingerie for women of colour. Founded in 2014, Nubian Skin was the first ever company of its kind, as this product didn't exist before Ade brought it to market. That fueled me, I think, just knowing that like this is this is more than just a pretty product, which a lot of the things that I had been working, you know, thinking about working on were just like nice things to have. This was more like this is something that will be incredibly meaningful. However, it wasn't without its challenges as the company went viral before any products had been made. Ade has the unique insight of what it actually feels like to go viral and if this is something businesses should strive for. I think people thought it was like a coordinated PR movement, so they clearly thought we were a big business. It was just me and I had an intern. And so I was like, yes, of course, please send it to create email, uh, press at nubianskin.com. Nubian Skin has been featured in every major fashion publication and provided the underwear for Beyonce's formation tour, an opportunity that was almost missed. We got an email from somebody saying, oh, you know, I'm Beyonce stylist, da, 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 da. we'd like to work with you on the formation tour. And I was like, delete. Like, I genuinely thought it was <laughs> a scam. So, this is Ade Hassan, MBE. Enjoy. Ade, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you for having me. So before we start talking about Nubian Skin, your your brand, can you talk us through a little bit about your career before you founded the business? Yes. Um, so my career was very, very different to what it is now. It was very corporate, um, very finance related, which I loved. I enjoyed it. Um, but yes, very different. My So I studied economics undergrad and did a master's in finance and development and then ultimately ended up in banking. Um, I was doing private equity fundraising. Um, and so very corporate, sort of typical investment banking start to my career. Uh, came up with the idea for Nubian Skin when I was doing management consulting. That I didn't love so much. Um, and then uh, shortly after, about a year in, went back into finance. So a very corporate finance related career, but it was a good one. And, and I'm really happy that I, I had that experience. And you'd mentioned in the past that you've always wanted to start your own business. Do you know where that drive came from? Was it something that you had gotten from parents or friends or close people close to you? Where did that drive to start a new business and, and kind of rely on yourself come from? Yeah, so both of my parents are entrepreneurs um, and both of them are huge, huge, huge inspirations for me. Um, and growing up, especially seeing my mum so like to me, my mom was like the height of beauty and glamour and like everything, you know, like I wanted to be as a woman when I grew up. And so seeing her sort of go to work, you know, in her like power suits and like be behind this desk and be building this business. I just thought that was like the coolest thing I could imagine. And so I always used to say like, oh, I want to be a businesswoman one day. Um, and I think ultimately, yeah, that's where those um, seeds were sown is just like watching my my parents build their own businesses and especially my mum watching her do that was just it had a big impact on me and I can imagine if you're watching your your parents as you're growing up and you've got this idea of 
becoming a businesswoman at some stage, obviously that is a very abstract term and it can mean lots of different things and give birth to a lot of different ideas as well. You've had a lot of ideas floating around. Are you able to share what some of them were and why you didn't go for some of those businesses? What were some of the dream dream businesses that you were thinking about when you were thinking of being a businesswoman? Yeah, so I I had always loved fashion. I had thought that eventually one day I would own some sort of fashion company, whether that was clothing, whether it was accessories. Um, I had, that that was kind of where my mind was going. And so when I was um, thinking of different things, when I started to you know really focus in on I want to start a business, what do I want to do? There are a few ideas I had. One of them was an accessories business, sort of doing luxury scarves with really really cool uh, Africa related prints. That was one in particular. Another one was handbag business. Um, so there were a lot of things that were floating around, but nothing was sticking. You know, like I'd be like, oh, yeah, this is really, really cool. And I'd sort of like have different ideas about what I wanted to do, but it just didn't stick. And so there wasn't that sort of like real hold over me um, until the idea for Nubian Skin popped into my head. And then it was like everything else just went silent. And then it was tunnel vision. Like I knew that was the one. Could you tell us how you landed on the idea for Nubian Skin and also what it was that made you stick with that idea. You mentioned then that there had been previous business ideas and they just they just weren't sticking for you. Um, how did you get to the idea of Nubian Skin and what was, what was so different about it that finally made you want to stick with it? Of course. So I always say the idea for Nubian Skin, it was literally like somebody just like flipped a switch. Um, I was sitting at a desk on a project in management consulting, which I was not enjoying. And... I, I remember being at that desk and it was sort of like a light bulb went on. And I, I remember thinking, I, I honestly don't know how it dawned on me, but I just thought I could never find a new bra. I'm going to do that. And then I was like, no, 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 no. Surely this exists. And so I just went on Google and started looking everywhere, like every single shop. I knew that I'd never found one because it was something that I had looked for a lot. Um, and I knew that I found it difficult, but I thought surely there's a company and I just don't know about it, or surely there's something in the US or, but there was nothing, like literally nothing for darker skin after researching and realizing there literally was this massive gap. I wanted it so badly for myself that I knew like, this is it. Like if nobody's doing this, like I'm going to make it happen because I want it so badly. It's so useful. It makes no sense that it doesn't exist. I, I remember thinking of it like this is my paperclip, right? Like something that just makes sense. Somebody just had to do it. And and I feel like when you get something that's just that obvious and that needed, and you can see that like not only do I need this, but there are so many women like me who need this. Um, then it was like, it wasn't even a matter of choice I, at that point it just consumed me. So all the other ideas sort of had like faded away. I thought, oh, that's really cool. But they didn't have a hold on me. This was like, just like a leech. I can I couldn't shake it. And so once you'd had that initial, the idea had come into your head, you've, you've, you're describing there a, a real sense of conviction that you had around the idea of the business because you've searched, not found any other business out there that's the product that you're talking about. Two questions off the back of that. Inside you, where did that conviction come from? And then the second thing is, what was what was the next step? You've got this idea, you want to go and do it. What what was the next, you know, what's the next thing that you do to actually go and try and turn this idea into a reality? The conviction was, in general, I tend to be 
I don't want to say an obsessive person, but if I, so it's like, I'm like a dog with a bone, right? Like if there's something that I find really, really interesting or something that I really want, I just like, I have to get it. And so that was just, I felt compelled because I could see that it was something that was needed. And then as I was doing more research, I sort of saw like blogs and posts about people being like, why don't, why doesn't need exist for black women? And so just, knowing that there was this almost injustice around it and knowing that I wanted it, I just, that fueled me. I think just knowing that like, this is this is more than just a pretty product, which a lot of the things that I had been working, you know, thinking about working on were just like nice things to have. This was more like, this is something that will be incredibly meaningful as far as representation goes. So that was, there was almost, I think the cause element, the sort of movement element behind it was a real driving factor. And then to your second question around, right, so you come up with the idea and you're like, okay, I want to do this, what then? I honestly had no idea. I mean, I had never worked in the fashion industry. I knew like nobody within the industry. I just knew that this idea was amazing and I wanted to do it. Like I really, really wanted to see it through. And so one of the first things I did was start researching colors. Well, actually, one of the first things I did was like, you know what, I need to quit this job because it doesn't pay me enough. I don't like it. And I'm going to need money to start the business. So um, that was when I was in consulting. So I decided to go back into finance um, and luckily found an amazing position with like an amazing team. And so that was great. So I was like, brilliant. I can save bonuses because you know, in banking, you get bonuses. So I was like, I know I can save bonuses for a few years. That's going to give me the capital. So like pretty logical in, in the approach in that sense. And then business-wise, it was about a year after I really started looking at, okay, how do I figure out the colors? Because the colors are going to be the thing. Brass had existed for a long, long time, but nobody's doing colors. And it's not like you can go to a fabric supplier and say, hey, I want some brown nudes. Like they didn't exist. So it was really, okay, the real USP is going to be the colors. I'm going to have to create the colors. How do I do that? Um, and and that, was the, that was the first step. There's people listening to this podcast who definitely will be hoping to start their own business, some of them likely potentially in, in fashion. How did you find the, the place to get the material you needed manufactured? Because, you know, you've come from a background in, in banking. Um, you've moved over to the fashion world, like I said, no prior experience, and you've you've realised, yeah, if I go to a manufacturer of bras or at least nude bras, um, they're not going to have the colours that I need. How do you progress from there, especially with no prior knowledge? It's it's got to feel like a bit of a wall in front of you. How did you overcome that? Yeah, of course. So one of the key things I think when you have a goal is just map it out because otherwise it just seems so overwhelming. Um, and I knew that I. I knew that I wanted to have an e-commerce site that was selling this product. And so I literally broke it down to every single step I would have to take from where I was, which was point zero, to the final, like to launch. Um, So that whether that was like visit makeup counters, talk about colors or register the trademark, find out if the website is available, come up with the name, all those little things. I literally just broke them down and I would say, okay, this week I'm going to register the company. Like that's the goal for this week. So then I was like, oh, I can do that. Like I can, I can register. And so if you take it step by step and you literally just give yourself this day, I'm going to do just this one small piece, it's digestible. And it's just so much more easy than looking at 
you know, this massive goal and going, how in the world do I get there? So one, it was mapping what I wanted to do. Um, and that was working really, really well until it hit the point of, okay, I have these colors that I want to work with and I know what I want to do. Now I just need a manufacturer. And when you've been ticking things off your list and it's like, great, I'm smashing this. Like I'm getting, I'm getting through it. And then you hit a wall. That's incredibly discouraging. So I'd gone on to Google because again, I didn't have any experience and I was like lingerie manufacturer or like underwear manufacturer. And I was trying to find a manufacturer and nobody. It's actually very, very difficult then to find one. And the ones that I did find, like literally nobody came back to me. And so I realized quickly that despite my amazing skills at Google and um, online searching, I was going to need a little bit of help. And so I then reached out to um, put into Google, uh, I think it was like lingerie industry consultant or something like something along those lines, because I knew that I needed somebody who worked in the industry to give me some guidance because I was getting nowhere. And I sort of drafted a non-disclosure agreement, met up with her. And I remember having that meeting and she looked at me, she goes, I meet a lot of people and I hear a lot of ideas. This one's actually exciting. Um, and so she then said, okay, you're going to need to go to trade shows. That's how you learn about the industry. And so then, I, I mean, I had no idea about trade shows. I mean, I knew the ones that were like finance related, but I didn't even think of them as trade shows. They were just like conferences. Um, and so I was like, ah, there's this whole like world of, like you know people who are in this industry and so that was like my first um, I remember it was this massive 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 thing in Paris and that was my first introduction to right we're looking at you know like people that are doing trimmings people that are doing manufacturing people that are supplying fabric it was like being a kid in a candy shop going oh my goodness oh my goodness there's this whole world that exists that like you know and so that was the I had to get outside help from somebody in the industry um, to to give me that knowledge because I just didn't have it and I didn't have access to it. From that point, what was the timeline then until being able to launch uh, the business Nubian Skin? Yeah, so funnily enough, I because I was in finance and in finance, everybody wants some like whatever yesterday, right? So you're like, we need this document. And you're like, oh, we haven't started. And they're like, that's great. You've got 48 hours. Let's get that done. So that was my mindset. I was like, three months, I'm going to launch this thing. <laughs> like, I had no clue. Um, so I came up with the idea in the spring of 2011. I started working on um, like colors and stuff, 2012. Actively started working on the company itself in 2013. And I didn't launch till October 2014. So from like the idea to launch was three and a half years. From registering the company to launch was a year and a half. Were you ever like frustrated within those three and a half years? Were you like ever concerned uh, about the fact, I know you talked about that once you think of something that you have to do it. Were you ever worried that someone was going to, beat you to the punch were you like constantly looking out absolutely. for this or the brand could have come out with the same <laughs> absolutely. idea absolutely because that's the thing i think once you have the idea you're like this is this is genius nobody's ever thought about this before and then i do remember that was like a constant thing of me going is somebody gonna do it like i didn't tell a soul because i was like this is such a good idea um and that was probably the hardest part thinking somebody's going to do this I'm working, I'm doing all this work, but like surely somebody else is going to do it. But luckily for me, nobody else did, um, at least not till after I launched. And so on the one hand, it, it did feel long. But on the other hand, I had 
gone back into finance, I was working in a job that I liked. I was occupied and I was enjoying what I was doing. I was enjoying the clients I was working with and I loved my team that I was working with. So it was a long time, but it also went quickly at the same time, if that makes sense. I was busy. Time goes quickly when you're busy. And in 2014, before you had officially launched, you went viral. Are you able to tell us a little bit about that story and how it felt firsthand? Because it's it's rare that businesses get to experience going viral. There's hundreds of thousands of businesses that get created, but it's really rare that one bubbles up to the surface like that. Yes, I. It was. I remember it was August 2014. I'd done a photo shoot, um, and it was amazing because it was the first time I had all the samples and the models were amazing. And we did the shoot, and it was great. And I creative directed it, and it was just amazing. And then I went on holiday for a week. And at the time I'd been putting up like silly things on Instagram, mainly. I think they were like my friends who following. I had 50 followers. And I put this image of four women. It's like the hero image of the shoot on um, on our Instagram. And then I went on holiday. And about halfway through the holiday, I looked at my phone and I was like, oh, cool I've got a hundred followers like a hundred people care what I think about I realize now that that's not impressive but then I was like oh my goodness a hundred people care what I think about this is so cool and then my phone kept buzzing and I was like oh what's happening by the end of that week I think we had a thousand followers and I was like cool like that's really cool you know to go from 50 to a thousand in a week is, is pretty impressive um and then it just sort of took on a life of its own I think people just hadn't seen images like that and so it clearly hit some point of critical mass where people were like, have you seen this? Have you seen this? Um, and in four weeks, we'd got 20,000 followers and the campaign was, it was like trending on, because we'd linked like Twitter and Instagram and Tumblr, which I don't even know if that's still a thing, but we'd linked everything and it started trending on Twitter. And so obviously you then get a lot of press who were on Twitter and we got emails from, I think, the Daily Mail, Cosmopolitan, Oprah Mag. I mean, it was in, it was insane. And I I remember people thought we had this massive PR thing behind us. I didn't even have a marketing plan. I definitely did not have money for PR. And it just went organically viral because people, especially black women, had seen the images and they were like, oh my goodness, this exists, like this is amazing. And so they started reposting and retweeting, being like, have you seen this? Have you seen this? Have you seen this? I remember there was a point where Kerry Washington retweeted an article that had been written about it. And I was like, this is like in the midst of like scandals, like, you know, and I was like, oh my goodness, Kerry Washington, it's about my pride. <laughs> but it legitimately went viral. And so we were getting approached by all these um, newspapers and magazines saying, hey, can you put us through to your press department? I think people thought it was like a coordinated PR movement. So they clearly thought we were a big business. It was just me and I had an intern. And so I was like, yes, of course, please send it to create email, uh, press at newbeanskin.com. <laughs> um, and it was, it was, it was just, it was a magic moment, which I just think like you can't recreate something like that. Um, we didn't even have product yet. So I just put an email capture on the website and I think we got about like, 20,000 emails like it was all of it was just like to this day I'm like goodness thank you to Instagram and thank you to black woman who like literally did the biggest PR campaign I could have ever imagined for me and how did that feel having almost waited to launch for three and a half years and then 
you launch, you go viral and you, you weren't, were you able to sell products at this point or did you kind of go viral prematurely? So we went viral prematurely. And I think if I could like, if I could go back in time, the one thing I would say is if you're getting that much press attention, just figure out pre-orders, <laughs> just do it. I was not at that stage yet. I was still trying to be like, I don't even know how to run a company and now I'm getting approached by all these magazines and I don't even have a team. So I was a novice and I was really naive. It was still an amazing opportunity, obviously. And, and I did have the like presence of mind to put an email capture in the website. And I think the website actually crashed at one point. But yes, I would say if I could go back in time, I would, knowing what I do now, I just set up pre-orders and just like, let's get it while it's hot. Was there any fear that you'd lose any kind of momentum before you were able to launch? How, how was, what was that process like when you were trying to deal with all of that traffic and set up systems in the background, still trying to build the business as it's getting so much attention? Was there any fear around that at all? Or? Well, yeah, obviously I think there's a bit of a fear of what if by the time we get there, you know, the interest is gone. But I think because we were able to capture email addresses, it did mean that when we launched, we could immediately like send it out to thousands of people saying, hey, we're still here. Now we've got, now the product's ready. Um, and so, you know, that was, that was brilliant. And then also at the time, Instagram was a very different place. It hadn't been bought by, you know, like Meta yet. And so it was all organic. And so we were, when you put something out, you were reaching an audience who was literally just waiting for you being like, hey, like we're here. And everyone like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. Yeah, which is that, yeah, that was a really, really cool time. And so how did you overcome that concern initially? How long did it take you to be able to get to the point that you could start reaching out to these people again and get everything set up? So we um, went viral in August and we launched in October. So that was about three months. The biggest thing, and I think this is just something that in business you have to come to terms with, is the situation is what it is and you just need to figure out how do you best like deal with it. So we'd gone viral, which was amazing. We didn't have product. We put in an email capture. That was the best thing we could have done at the time. I mean, actually, if I could go back in time, the best thing we could have done was to do pre-orders. But without that knowledge, having never run an e-commerce site, the best thing I could have done at the time was capture emails to let people know when we launched, hey, you were interested. This is now ready. Um, and so... Yeah, it's really that. It's just kind of going, what is the current situation? What can I do with the resources that I have? And just do that. And then just be like, you know what? That in and of itself is an amazing thing because I didn't have marketing budget. I didn't have PR. And all of a sudden I had a mailing list of like 20,000 people. That was something that I never thought I was going to have. Um, sometimes you just have to count your blessings and move on. <laughs> going viral is is something that I think a lot of founders strive for you know we've got friends who who run marketing agencies as well it's quite common that they will receive a brief from a, a client and part of that brief will be i want to go viral this year um knowing what you know now do you think going viral is something that founders should aim for um no i don't because i don't think that you can perhaps if you've got perhaps if you're a celebrity or you're a huge, huge, huge corporation, you can coordinate that and you've got, you know, millions upon millions upon millions to spend on PR and marketing. 
But in general, if you're a startup founder, you don't have that resource. And so focusing on trying to go viral, particularly on platforms now, which are for profit, it's very unlikely. It's it's luck, really. I mean, even a lot of those big corporations pay a lot of money for it and it doesn't necessarily stick. So I do think that going viral, you can come up with a really cool campaign that you hope will go viral, but more often than not, the things that go viral are just, they just happen to touch people in a way or pique people's interest in a way that, and it can be so random, right? Like, wasn't there that like an egg that went viral? Like, like Yeah, the world record egg. Right, like, <laughs> who knew? <laughs> I'm sure like Happy Eggs or like whatever, like egg company there is, was like, if only it had been us. <laughs> you can't, you can't figure out like what people are going to vibe with. So um, I think aiming for that isn't necessarily helpful, but building a community is priceless. I agree with that. And I think for any startups or founders who find themselves in a situation where they do go viral, um, be it through a campaign that they've planned or, you know, they put an image out in your case and it, get, it hits the right people with, with the right uh, sort of message in the right place and it takes off. For those founders that do end up going viral, outside of what you've already mentioned around turn on pre-orders and try and capture emails, is there anything else that you'd say to them to to look for to maximize um, or capitalize on that viral campaign? Yeah, I mean, I think one is looking at why did it go viral, right? In our case, it went viral because it was it was representation. It was showing people something they hadn't seen before and something that they were like, one, you know, they looked at those images and they thought, oh my goodness, this person looks like me, but also it could look like my aunt or my sister. And also what somebody's created something for us. It was very, very specific to a community. And so I would say that's probably the most important thing. You know, I mean, if the messaging behind your campaign is why it's gone viral, tap into that, like understand this is a community driven thing. Who's making it go viral and why? In our case, it was really women of color that were making it go viral, specifically black women. And why? Because they'd seen us representing them in a way that they'd never seen in the market in that industry before. And so then we knew, okay, this is this is who our community is. Let's speak to them. Let's talk about what they want. And I remember we didn't have the product yet, so we started drip feeding images. And then people would be like, oh my goodness, you know, is this going to have like go up to this size? And at that point it wasn't. So then we used that and said, for all of you who are talking about, you know, bigger sizes, please fill out this survey. And that then informed us when we were looking at, when we did eventually, uh, like a year or two later, start producing bigger sizes, we had that information from that community around what they needed specifically. Um, or some people would be like, oh my goodness, are there going to be tights in the collection? We could be like, yes, there will be, not at launch. But, you know, so really tapping into the people who are really interested in your product. Um, so yeah, I would say if your campaign goes viral, try and figure out why and to who do you owe <laughs> the, you know, the gratitude for it going viral and then connect with them. Because if you can connect with your community or your customers, that sets you up for um, longevity versus just like going viral, which give you a flash in the pan, but it's not gonna last unless you're engaging with the people that, that helped it happen. 100%. You could almost say the same thing for people that are creating anything of any kind. I was likening it to being even a person that creates content doesn't necessarily have to be a brand. Yeah. People talk about the fact that those 
smaller creators that are producing content that gets 10,000, 20,000 views every single video, but it's the same people are almost worth more than the million views you might get on a random piece that blows up. So I can kind of, I feel like there's a parallel to draw as a creative person in any field to focus on your, your audience in that way and build a community like you say. Absolutely. And I wanted to move on to defining moments throughout your career. You've done a lot uh, as a person, even receiving your uh, MBE. And I wanted to ask, are there any, that must be one, I'm assuming that is one, yes. <laughs> but are there any memorable or defining moments that stick out to you over your career? Oh, goodness. Um, there are. There are so many. <laughs> I'm trying to like think of, of the highlights. Yes, obviously getting an MBE was so unexpected. To this day, I don't know who nominated me. So if I always say this whenever I'm asked, I'm like, if the person is listening, thank you so much. Um, but that was that was a huge one because it was sort of, I remember it was 2017. It was in the middle of the grind um, because once you launch a business and like things happen, then running the business is always just hard. Um, and so it was in the middle of the grind. And I remember feeling like quite like, it's what I'm doing. Does it matter? Like, this is just really hard. And and, and I remember when I saw those words, you have been nominated to receive an MBE for services to fashion. And that phrase, services to fashion, like I just burst into tears because I just thought, oh my goodness, like, yeah, like a service to the fashion industry, like that's just such a huge thing. Um, and so I remember just feeling like it is worth it because it's touched so many people and also it's been like a service to the fashion industry. Like, how cool is that? Like, like who, you know, like it's something I would never, ever, ever have thought literally in my whole life would have happened. Like it wasn't even something that was on my radar to happen. Um, so that was, that was a huge one. Um, and there have been moments, I remember when Beyonce came out with the Formation album and tour, which was like this huge, like cultural thing. Um, we got an email from somebody saying, oh, you know, I'm Beyonce stylist, da, 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 da. I'd like to, we'd like to work with you on the formation tour. And I was like, delete. Like I genuinely <laughs> thought it was a scam. Um, and I literally just deleted the email. And then like a couple of days later, I remember thinking, ah, that was really interesting. Um, I'll just like forward it to some friends who work in like, um, styling and see if they've heard of this person. <laughs> and I remember a friend just responding, being like, "Respect all caps, respond right now. This is legit." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness!" And at the time, the team was just like me, my marketing assistant, and an intern. And then we started playing like we were like, "We need to channel Beyonce. We hope we haven't like blown this opportunity." <laughs> and and eventually, like, yeah, and and that. I remember the images of the, you know, they already knew her size, like they'd used the product before, they ordered for all the dancers. And when the images of the tour started coming through, we realized why they'd wanted Nubian skin and we could see some things. And I was like, is this what I think it is? I sent him an email and he was like, 100%. And that was, that was just, for arguably one of the biggest stars in the world, at least her people, to know about the brand was such, because we're tiny, right? Like, and that was, you know, if they work with the biggest brands in the world, for them to know us because we were providing something they couldn't get elsewhere was 
that was a really, really, really big moment. Um, and then I'd say probably the most touching moment has been last, is it last year? Yeah, last year we worked with um, the Royal Marsden um, Cancer Foundation um, to release they'd want they did a pilot program when we've been approached by a doctor um who's a breast a can, breast cancer surgeon and she'd said Ade, we um we have so many women of color that come in and they have to have mastectomies and when they do the first thing we give them is a softie which is like sort of a it's something you put in your bra to, to have symmetry after you've ha- you've lost um you've lost a breast and she goes for the women of color that come in we have to give them the softies and therefore white skin and so they've lost something that's so integral to the femininity. And then you give them something which just makes them feel it's foreign. You know, she goes, I've contacted the makers of this and nobody's coming back to me. Do you think you could make them in colors that would match? And I was like, I have no medical experience, but I'm gonna make, like, we're gonna make this happen. Um, and we did that towards the end of last year. I think it launched just in time for Breast Cancer Awareness Month, the pilot program. And that was, that was again, one of those moments when, I know we'd been through the pandemic, like then Brexit. And so things were just like hard from a business perspective. And you kind of go, is this really worth it? Like now there's even more competition, like what am I doing? And then you get to do something like that. And you're touching the lives of people in such a beautiful and like, in a way that helps their healing. Um, and so that was probably the most meaningful thing I think we've done as a brand. Could you, looking back when you started Nubian Skin, could you have ever predicted this level of success? Um, that's a very, very interesting question because that brings into play the definition of success. Um, I think from a scale and financial perspective, I still have like a long way to go to hit where I, you know, would love to be when I started it. From an impact perspective, absolutely not. I could never, ever have dreamed. I just, I knew what I was doing. I knew I was starting something that was new. I didn't think it would change the industry the way it did. I I never envisioned that. The industry today is so much different from it was, from where it was when I started. So the impact on the industry, the impact to people as far as representation, again, I could never, ever have dreamed about it. That the things that I've achieved as an entrepreneur and Nubian Skin has achieved as a business, no. no. So to answer your question, absolutely not. I just, no. I wanted to talk about a little bit about how you managed to balance all this, especially at the time when you went back into finance in order to fund the creation of this business. I can imagine there were some very long days associated with getting everything going, uh, especially with the trajectory that you were on. How did you, did you manage to balance it all? Are you in a sort of better position to be able to balance things now? Yeah, I'd say that, um, so when I was in the role that I had um, in Firebounce, it was client facing, so it's pretty full on. And I, you know, loved my team. It was demanding work. Um, I was also in my 20s, and so I just had a level of energy, which I do not currently have. Um, But so I also was possessed. 
like I would wake up at 4 a.m. in the morning and I remember having to keep a notebook beside my bedside table or on my bedside table because I would wake up at 4 a.m. sort of like sit up in bed and be like, oh my goodness, I've got the perfect name. Like things were just, I look back at that period and I, it took on a life of its own, which was almost like outside of me. So it was driving me versus me driving it, if that makes sense. So was there balance? Not really, because I was working in a very demanding job and I was starting a business, but it didn't feel at that point before I'd started running the business, because at this point it was the ideas phase, it was the building phase, and that's almost the most fun part. Um, that just felt so exciting. And I did go dark socially for a while, um, where like with friends, like I remember being like, hi guys, and they were like, where have you been? And I'm like, hey. Um, and so, yeah, so that was, it wasn't necessarily balanced, but I was being driven by something which just had like possessed me. And so the energy was there. When I shifted to, from building to running, that then took on a life of its own because all of a sudden you go from essentially being responsible for yourself and also having a job in which, you know, like, you don't know anything about HR or VAT or any of that. And then you start running a business and you're like, oh my goodness, I had no idea. Like if something in the office needed to be cleaned, like I was cleaning it. If I needed to pick, I was like, who knew that I had to like contact Camden Council to pick up my rubbish? Like what? You know, like just so many things like that where you just would never, like you just don't think about it from a business perspective because you've never had to. Um, and so that was really, that was a really interesting shift. Um, and that was, again, was there balance? Absolutely not. There was no balance. Um, it was just pure survival, uh, especially because the team was so small. And then I'd say that I feel like I hit balance. The business is now almost nine years old. Um, I'd say I feel like I've hit a bit more of a balance in the past two years because now I have a team that can support me um, in the way that I needed to be supported because that's also something that you kind of have to figure out as well. But um, yeah, for the first seven years, balance didn't exist. And like, I'd love to say that I had like this great way of balance, but I didn't. It Balance didn't exist and it, and it was it healthy? Probably not. But I think most entrepreneurs, if you really like ask them the question, will we'll admit that. I was going to say, it, it's not surprising because as a founder, you do put so much of yourself into a business, into your business, and especially one with such strong purpose. And I was, I wanted to understand if you could separate your personal happiness from work because businesses can be turbulent at the best of times and not always 100% under your control. There can be outside conditions that can affect outcomes. Did you manage to separate your personal happiness and uh, I guess spiritual happiness from the business itself or did you feel like they were always interconnected? At the beginning, no, I didn't. At the beginning, um, I didn't have that separation and, and that is actually very unhealthy. <laughs> I would say it's really, really important for um, founders and entrepreneurs to learn to separate those because when you create something, you feel like you it's part of you. Um, and so if it does well and it can be 
it's such a wild ride emotionally because amazing things can happen and you're like here, right? Like at the top of the world and literally the next day, you know, something's gone wrong with an order and you know, like you've like basically just lost like tens of thousands of pounds and your heart just like crumples. And so the the highs and the lows when you haven't separated the business from yourself, it is just, it's a very, very, very wild ride. Um, and so for me at the beginning, I was too emotionally invested in the business. And I suppose that's probably something everybody who's an entrepreneur is to an, to an extent, but I just felt any shock that came, like came at me like a, you know, like it was like being punched over and over and over again. Um, and I think it was in 2019, it got to like peak, just, I had intertwined my own self-worth with the business way too much. Um, and I remember my sister who is like, just my hero, um, I was, I would call her absolutely sobbing. And I would say, I'm a failure, like, and she'd be like, what is wrong? Yeah, she was like, well, actually, she didn't say what is wrong with you because she's very, very good at that. She was like, you are amazing and I love you. <laughs> um, this is not true. And eventually at some point she was like, this is a number you need to call and you need to go see a therapist because you need to learn to manage this. She was like, you can call me whenever you want. I'm always here for you. But she was like, you know, this is this is more than I can help you with. Um, and, uh, and, and that was really, really valuable advice because I did, and I remember being with my therapist and, and I said, I feel like a failure. And she said to me, that's interesting. She was like, um, you know, and I was like, and I don't, like, I'm not working hard enough. And she was like, right, can you just walk me through like what you've done? recently you know like just like your day of work and then she was like and could you just name sort of like the accomplishments that you've had and so like you know and I'm like oh yeah and I was like yeah and I, and I got my MB and like and um you know and I won this award and and this and this and she's like okay and she was like so you've just said that you don't work hard enough and you've just said that you're a failure can you and literally her putting it like that and I was like ah oh like okay you know she said if you were your friend, what would you say to yourself? And I was like, oh my goodness. And, and having that perspective, really understanding that like, honestly, your life and the business is separate. And also the business wasn't even doing that badly. <laughs> Sometimes it's just, you know, like you put things in, you put pressure on your in yourself, which is just unrealistic. And so that was, that was a really big lesson that I had to learn. Um, and it was also just really important for me to, to realize what is most the most important thing for me because I knew for myself sometimes that it feels like the world's ending I was like what would the world ending really look like I was like is everybody in my family safe and healthy yes then the world isn't ending like for me that's like my north star and so that was a really good way for me to go like what is the most important thing in the world for you and if it isn't the business then if anything's gone wrong in the business you're actually fine um, but that was the process of, of learning that. What advice would you give to founders? Any Anyone who's listening who might be building their own business now, they might be um, similar to how you started. They might have a job right now and building the business uh, in the evenings and they can't wait for the day that they can do this full time. 
what is your advice to them? You know, looking back over, say, the last uh, ten years, what would your advice to them be? Given how how hard it was for you to be able to, and how much time it took to get the business off the ground and running, to then getting to a point where you were so you know you'd intertwined the two, you know, your, your personal happiness and, and and the business. With all of that context, what advice would you give to founders that are listening? Well, one, I would say, if you are really really passionate about something and understand whether you're really passionate about it, because that's key. Don't be put off. It is hard, but I think the world is an amazing place because people have done things which like other people just never thought was possible. So don't be overwhelmed. Like if you have this amazing grand idea, don't be overwhelmed by that. Just plot. Literally, it's always putting one foot in front of the other. So plot where you want to be and then just take it one little step at a time. Um, bite-sized chunks is one and then two I would say it's amazing what you can accomplish when you put your mind to it but always always ask for help Um, I think I like didn't ask for help enough Um, then you realize that actually once you find your group of people who will support you people want to help you Um, and, and, and that's a beautiful thing so you don't have to carry it all on yourself um I think people who will, there will be people who believe in your vision and believe in you as a person and they will want to help you. So use that help because otherwise you're just torturing yourself for no reason. Um, so I would say don't be afraid to dream big and it is possible if you do it in bite-sized chunks and then, you know, believe in yourself but also like ask for help because it's, um, that's like part of the fun is is when you've got people on the journey with you. And I might be doubling up on uh, your potential answers here because my next question was going to be, what do you feel like the biggest lessons that you've learned are? Yeah, no. Um, one of the other things that I will say is really, really important. As you grow the business, finding the team, the people that you hire is so important. The people that you surround yourself with are so important. Um, I now, when I started the whole concept of me being skin. I was in my twenties. Now I am older and also um, I have a son and that is a very interesting dynamic in and of itself. When you start thinking about balance um, without the team that I have now, it wouldn't be possible. And I feel the most balanced that word again um, and the most supported that I have ever been on my journey because I've managed now to create a team and have a team around me who are just like who are amazing um and i think that's when you get to the point where you can start building a team that's so 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 important and the final question from me who is it that inspires you in business who do you look to for inspiration um well again i think i've mentioned that my parents were huge huge sources of inspiration for me um both of them as entrepreneurs but um one of the sort of famous business people um who I just think is amazing is Sarah Blakely, who started Spanx. I love what she did with Spanx. Um, and I love her as an entrepreneur because she's so unapologetically herself. Like, you know, the way her ethos, the way she is, like she just has always been that way. Um, but I also love the fact that, you know, she's a female, she has a female owned business, which is focused on women predominantly and she was underestimated so much despite like you know Oprah backing her despite 
all the success she had. I remember an article came out and I don't, it might have been like Forbes or Business Week or one of those sort of magazines. And they were basically saying, everybody's saying Spanx is like a billion dollar business and like that can't possibly be true. And they basically like tried to call her out and be like, this business just isn't worth that much money. You know, it's a private company, it's in the US, so people didn't know the numbers. And I just remember thinking like, how dare you? Like, you know, this is somebody who's basically created this in like this niche within this industry and has built this business. And then I remember it must have been about like, and they were like, oh, and now she's going to sell the company or whatever. And then a few weeks, months later, it was announced that she was essentially acquired by a private equity firm for like over a billion dollars. And I was like, oh, that is the best, like, <laughs> in your, you know, just like, I love that. I love, love, love that. I love that she's like stuck with the principles. I love that she's been like unapologetically herself. And I love that she basically gave a big F you to like the people who are questioning the value of her company. So um, I, yeah, I think she's amazing. Brilliant. I think that's a perfect place to end the podcast. But thank you so much for joining us on the podcast that day. And no problem. before you go, where can we follow you and Nubian Skin on socials? So we are nubianskin.com um, and on all of our socials, it is at Nubian Skin, all one word, whether that is on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, and I think on Pinterest, we're Nubian Skin Official. Amazing. Thank you so much, Ali. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Founders. If you liked the content in this podcast, you can get new content from a new founder every week by following us on all podcast apps. 